You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Darby Veneer, who has over 20 years of experience in leadership development and strategic consulting. He has led effective teams of more than 100 employees, coached others into their own leadership positions, and created stability during challenging organizational situations. Darby built his career on the philosophy that developing the right people is the key to success. Welcome, Darby. Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat today. We can also benefit from discovering better ways to both motivate and inspire our teams. Your professional career started in human resources and operations management and moved on to leadership development. Recently, you've also written a book, The Indispensable Leader. Can you perhaps take us back with some background beyond the bio? What got you started down these very varied paths? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things I always tell folks when I coach them, especially younger leaders, that you just never know where your career is going to take you. And if I, anytime I have an opportunity to talk with individuals that are still in college that have not yet started their professional careers, it's always interesting to talk with them because when I was in college, I never would have uh, looked at, at my possible careers and said, I, I think I'm going to go and run a livestock association. <laughs> like that was not something on go. my radar. <laughs> and even if it was, um, I ran a livestock association for um, alpacas, uh, of all things. So I'm in Nebraska, in the middle of the United States, and we have lots of livestock, but not a lot of alpacas. So it yeah, definitely would not have crossed my mind at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had an opportunity to, to uh, be in a lot of different industries. I started off, as you said, in human resources, but that was within the movie theater industry. So pretty retail. I was one of like six or eight managers at this 22 screen movie theater in Kansas City. Um, and everybody did operations management and then everybody kind of had a specialty area. So mine was human resources. So I got to deal with all of the, the hiring and training, which in a movie theater, you're talking of that size, we had about hundred to 120 employees, all of them, lots of high school students and, yeah. and uh, that level of employees. So it's a much different type of leadership than obviously you do later in your career. Um, so from there, I actually moved on to even more heavy retail where I took over managing a Kinko store. Um, so I did that and went through the whole FedEx buyout and it became FedEx and FedEx office and all of that sort of thing as well. Um, but after that, I was kind of getting to the point at that time, all of the Kinko stores were 24 hours a day. So I was managing a 24 hour a day store and I did that for about six years and I kind of you know, after getting a phone, you know, working 10 hours and going home and having dinner and then getting a phone call at nine o'clock at night that the overnight person called in sick and then having to go back and work all night, I kind of was like, you know, I think I'm ready to get out of this retail thing. So um, ended up going over to the nonprofit world. And that's where I took over the, the that National Livestock Association for alpacas. And again, like I... I always tell people if if they had put the name of the company in the ad, I probably never would have applied because I would have thought, how big can it be? Plus, you have no business applying. You have no idea what an alpaca is. Um, 
Um, but they didn't. They just put, you know, the, the business responsibilities. They needed a CEO to run the company and to help them uh, get their national organization more organized and, and growing more. Um, and so I answered their ad and ended up interviewing several. And um, what I they were going through an agency. So after I found out who it was with, um, when I got the second interview um, with the actual um, organization, I had to look up what an alpaca was. Um, <laughs> I had a general idea that it was like a llama, but um, that's about the extent of my knowledge. And I was just up front with them when I talked to the board. Um, I said, look, if you need somebody that has experience in your industry, I am not the person. Like, I don't know anything. And they're like, that's not what we're looking for. We can teach that aspect. We need somebody who has the business experience and, and the background of growing an organization and leading people. So I was there for 11 years and obviously it worked out. Um, yeah. and now I know a lot about alpacas and we could have a conversation about alpaca DNA testing and parentage validation and breeding values and all of that if you wanted to have that. It so, must uh, have been a lot of fun, I must admit. <laughs> it was. It was pretty exciting. Um, but again, it was kind of like uh, I got to the end of the, I was there a lot longer than I was at Kinko's, but you, you just start to realize you get to a point and you just know that it's time to move on. And I had been through, I, I worked for a nine member board of directors and every year I'd get new board members. So you kind of got new bosses and priorities changed yeah. all the time. So it, it's a lot to deal with. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, you want to go back to where I like report to one person and they're not going to be constantly changing and everything. So started keeping an eye out. And then I moved into my, my current role where I work for a company that does uh, leadership coaching, leadership development, strategic yes. planning and everything. So, yeah, I mean, kind of had the whole gamut of like retail, nonprofit, and then for-profit industries. Um, I read your bio, so I know you had have similar like yeah, diverse experience as well. Um, but yeah, it's it, getting back to my original point. It totally like my career illustrates that you should not assume that you know what your career path is going to be. Um, I have a lot long time left in my career now, and I don't. Uh, um, uh, make any assumptions about what it's going to look like the next 20 or 30 years. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. I must admit, you're obviously one of these people that enjoys challenges, um, moves on to new opportunities, and it certainly has produced probably a pretty fun career to this point, learning about these brand new things along the way and brand new people, shall we say with yeah, all, exactly. all the changes you've gone through. So in the process, you obviously learned an awful lot or saw an awful lot about good and bad management. And as um, you've detailed in your book, you, you've discovered that there were actually more than the two well-recognized uh, groups of managers, shall we, shall we call it the, the very detail focused and then the strategic. So tell us a bit about what you discovered. Like, what is this third kind of manager? 
Yeah. So in my book, I cover this and it's this idea of, if you think about, I know you've heard it before, somebody will ask, or you've heard somebody comment on, is that person a leader or are they a manager? Or are you a leader or are you a manager? Um, And I always just thought that was a weird question to ask. I thought that's really bizarre because I know a lot of great managers that are also great leaders. So by saying it in that way, it feels like it's one or the other. And I think Mm -hmm. we as as humans just have a tendency to do that. You have to be this or you have to be that. There's not an in-between, you have to choose, make a choice. And I don't think that's a great way to look at it. So my book actually comes at it from that angle of like, you know, if you wanna talk about the two areas, let's talk about them a little bit differently. What you're really talking about when people say that is manager characteristics and visionary characteristics. So those entrepreneurial characteristics. And that's really what people mean when they say that. They don't necessarily mean leader. For some reason, leader got equated with visionary entrepreneur. And that's that's not, like I said, that's not how I, I want people to look at it. So if you think about that as a, as a spectrum um, where you have manager on one side and you have visionary on the other, people exist somewhere on the spectrum. I mean, they just really do. Um, oftentimes you'll have a tendency to be stronger in one area or the other. I am a much stronger uh, manager than a visionary. I probably fall just to the, just to the left of uh, the center on that. I like to play in the visionary world sometimes from time to time, but I'm really great at the organizational side of those manager characteristics and um, being able to understand and explain the what and the how. Um, And then the people who are visionary, those folks are the folks who are um, thinking of tons of new ideas. They're often, like I said, entrepreneurs. Um, They're the ones that are talking about why are we going to do something? So what I talk about in the book is, is let's not think about this as a spectrum, but rather think about it more like a Venn diagram where you have two intersecting circles. And what I'm asking people to do throughout the book is think about what are the best characteristics of managers and what are the best characteristics of visionary? And then can you pull those into your experience? So if you have a tendency one way or the other, then you need to focus on building some of the characteristics on the other side. Um, You also, because there are bad things associated with those those two types as well, you have to make sure you try to let those things go, or at least understand that those are a problem. So as somebody who sides falls more on that um, manager side, I know that I can get so focused on checking a box and checking off my list and getting stuff done that I don't really start, I lose track of why we're doing it. And, and as leaders, we don't want to do that. So that means I have to be cognizant of that and constantly thinking about that. On the opposite side of that, you have visionaries who can get so focused on and uh, on the ideas and coming up with idea after idea after idea that sometimes they overload their teams and the people that they work with because they're like, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And they're not concerned at all about how we get there or what it takes to do it. In their heads, it's already done. As soon as they think about it, they're, they're there. So they have to, if you're more of a, a visionary um, archetype, you have to really focus on those things and think about um, what do I got to do to make sure that I at least keep that in check? 
Now, sometimes that means you can do it yourself. Sometimes you see in large companies um, where you have very high visionary people where they'll actually hire people around them who are more managerial to help them offset that a little bit. I mean, when you, you hear stories about people like Steve Jobs and how he was and how his mind worked, he had to hire people who could actually get done and make his ideas come to reality because- he didn't want to have to focus on all those details, um, but he had a great mind for coming up with the ideas. So that means that he had to find and, and surround himself with those individuals. So there's just a ton that goes into that. And that really is kind of the journey throughout the whole book. I talk about a variety of different characteristics and that sort of thing. So that's pretty awesome. I must admit, I have read your book and I I do think you've covered the topic really, really well. So if one wants to change some of your characteristics to be a little more like the other or to drop some of them, how do you even start? Where's, you know, what do you do? Yeah, I think that the, the first thing is, is identify them. Like I said, you have to identify what are those things you need to make sure you keep in check um, or let go of so that you can keep those to the front of your mind. It's that mm. idea of, um, I'm sure you've heard about the idea of, of um, unconscious incompetence and then conscious incompetence and then um, uh, unconscious uh, competence and then unconscious competence. You got to move through that journey. So we first have to identify what it is we we don't know right now. Like we have to think right. about those things. And then once we know them, we have to constantly remind ourselves and change those habits that are surrounding those characteristics so that we can eventually then get to that um, conscious competence and unconscious competence areas um, and achieve that um, at, at some point. So that's the first um, thing is, is really focus on those things. And then on the other side of that, take a look at what are the things you need to build and do the same thing, like start to reinforce those and keep track of them and make sure that you're looking at how, um, you know, you can mirror how other people lead, other leaders you you look at that know do a great job who are high visionary or um, really great at, at managing um, tasks and, and people. Um, and then just observe them and that will help you. And then, of course, there's other things too, like mentorship. So surround yourself and make connections with people who are going to help you. Um, one, that one of the most important things you want in your mentors is people that are going to be totally honest with you. Because again, mm -hmm. we don't know what we don't know. So yes. sometimes you need somebody to tell you that you're an idiot in an area right, <laughs> or yeah. you're not so good at something. Or sometimes you need somebody else to tell you what your strengths are too, because Yes. A lot of us are just, it's not something we focus on, um, especially here in the middle, in the Midwest here, we don't like to brag about ourselves very mm -hmm. much. We don't focus on ourselves as often. So sometimes you need somebody to actually be able to sit down and say, you're really good in these areas and you should enhance these things. Here's the things you need to focus on in increasing. And here's the things you better let go of or make sure that you monitor closely so that you can build on those things over time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I must admit, um, I don't know too many people who are aware of their unique ability until they actively start trying to to work that out, because it just feels like something that's so naturally comfortable to you. So, yeah. you know, the self-observation is 
a pretty hard thing to do unless you actively do it or, as you suggest, get someone else to help you recognize what you are particularly good at. So what are the advantages of being an indispensable leader, that that person that has almost a balance of characteristics towards the middle of the spectrum? Yeah, so that's the whole reason that I wrote the book was to help individuals and really look at the things that I wish that I had known when I was very early in my career. That was one of the first things, but but then help individuals become the best possible leader that they can be. I mean, that's the idea behind becoming an indispensable leader. It means... Um, pulling in, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a cookie cutter of somebody else, because that's just not going to happen. Your skills are different. Your background is different. Your experience is different. Um, but taking that your skills that you have and enhancing those and then building the other things that you believe that you need and helping you become the most well-rounded possible leader that you can be as you lead people, as you grow organizations and work to scale. And if you're running your own business to, to, um, to grow that organization and move it forward. Um, but that's the whole idea behind becoming an indispensable leader. Right. Makes a lot of sense. So no doubt there are people around us that one could possibly deem indispensable or they closer to that ideal. How do you recognize someone who is more towards the center like that? Are there particularly particular things one would look for? Yeah, so I think these are the individuals that you interact with that do some of those things that I mentioned. So you start to see, and certainly I've seen them in my career with folks that have worked for me, you can start to identify the individuals who um, stand out for project management and keeping things on track and organized and, and that sort of thing, which is those managerial characteristics. And then you're going to have people that are going to sit in team meetings and stuff. And they're the ones that are going to come up with new ideas of how to do something new or a new product or a new service or a suggestion for changing up a process or building a new process that's going to make it more efficient. Those people are probably more visionary types. And then the idea is, is that um, if you can start to recognize the individuals that are exhibiting both and they're kind of playing to what is needed at the time. So like I said, I sit kind of in the middle of that spectrum and that's what I try to do. So there are times, depending on the group that I'm in or the project that we're working on or, or whatever it is that we're doing, depending on the skills that are in the room at the time or on that particular team, I may have to play more of a managerial role and be that organized person, be that person that says, okay, but there's this 20 th other things that we have to do in order to accomplish that. So we need to plan ahead because this is going to happen and to raise the challenges. But then there's other times where I'm in a room where I have lots of people that are like that. They, already, they already got it. They are on top of what the problems are, how we're going to solve them um, and what we need to do to make that happen. But they're just focused on getting getting the idea done and not necessarily improving it or coming up with how that might be better. So then I have to play to those other visionary strengths and actually think about um, what are some new ideas? What's a better way to do this? How can we be more efficient? Um, what are the things we need to think about so that whatever we're doing, if it's completing a project or designing a product or a service or whatever, even a process, um, 
how do we ensure that it's the best it can possibly be? And so you have to be able to play to both sides. So if you can find the individuals that are able to do that, now it's not always easy, especially in folks who are new leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not easy to identify in individuals who don't lead people unless they are um, regularly working on project work or something, because you can see it in projects and group interaction and team meetings. Um, But what that means is, is that it gives you an opportunity then to coach people along as well. So you, you'll probably be able to identify pretty early what their tendency is. Are they more managerial or are they more visionary? But finding somebody who is exhibiting both is a little bit more challenging. And honestly, it takes a little bit more time. Very early in my career, I don't know that I exhibited very much on the visionary side of things at all. I mean, I was focused on doing, and even when I managed people from the beginning of my career, even in managing people, I'm not sure that I was focused on the visionary side. Plus I was working for AMC theaters, which is the largest movie chain in the world, I think. Um, So a huge corporation. So I didn't, it wasn't my job to be visionary at that point. So at that point, you're going to have individuals who like, it's not their job. So they're not focused on it. It doesn't mean that they can't do it. So it's your job as a leader then to help coach those individuals along and grow them and help them grow in their careers. Um, And that's been some of what has been the most um, joyous part of my career. If I look back and looked at what brings me the most joy, it's seeing the success of the people that um, worked for me, especially people that I hired. And then they progressed through the organization. They um, continue to be promoted and grow. And then even in organizations where I left and I continue to to stay in touch with them and seeing them continue to progress in their careers. um, There was, I don't know, out of my 16 or 20 regular employees at Kinko's when I was there at my Kinko store, my retail store. I think there was between seven and nine of them that went on to become assistant managers and managers of Kinko's and beyond and and district managers. So seeing those things is just exciting. But what that meant is, is that I hired some of those individuals and that means that it was my responsibility to coach and develop them along and help them along the way. And that's what I always saw that. So that's as leaders, that's something that's always going to be very important to us, um, that we should be cognizant of that at all times, because you're sh- potentially shifting somebody's career, um, depending on the actions that you take. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I would think that one of the major benefits that an indispensable leader can give to any organization or group or even personal life environment is to try and impart some of those indispensable characteristics to every person that that you are assisting, mentoring, training, supervising, disciplining, whatever it may be in the process to try and almost perpetuate the cycle of showing people what can be good about changing their characteristics. So in uh, very stressful situations, even those who are working on trying to get themselves more indispensable, one is inclined to revert to your natural characteristics, particularly if you're still on that journey of trying to make the changes. So there are there any tips or, or ideas you've come across to try and help people 
avoid becoming extreme on their spectrum again? I think it's very difficult. <laughs> uh, you have to build very strong, trusting relationships with the people that you work with, whether it be colleagues or people above you or employees. If you build those strong relationships, and I've always tried to build them in a way that people know they can come and say, Darby, you're being an idiot. Like even my employees mm. can come and say that and feel secure that that's not going to get them fired. Like I want them to do that. Now, I don't want them to be inconsiderate about it. I want them. Okay, great. Now tell me why you're saying that. Like you can't just make the comment. Yeah. Um, so that's one one thing that I do think is, is very important that can help you. Um, having said that, it is very difficult. And it's funny you bring that up because I actually have used that, that example several times um, in, uh, discussions that I've had and trainings, um, or, uh, workshops that I've done, um, because people do have a tendency in high stress situations to revert to the, their true leadership style and not just on the visionary managerial side, but I, I mean, other things too, that are not so great at times, or sometimes they are great as well. So let me give you like a specific example here. When COVID hit in early 2020, this is one of the things I said. I said this on a group of business leaders that we were getting together on Zoom because obviously everybody was only getting together on Zoom. So um, <laughs> um, and we were getting together on Zoom and talking about how we could um, support each other because especially very early on, there was a lot of uncertainty as to how yeah. it was going to affect business for people and how are we going to get back to normal and make it through this and all of those things. But one of the things that I said is, 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 you are going to be amazed at what we learn. Mm -hmm. First off, and this is very early. This is like April of 2020. <laughs> so like also, it all blew up in March. Yeah. So this is very early. And I said this and, and they said, what do you mean? I said, well, think of it like this. And I'm like, imagine all the innovation that's going to happen because of what we're, we're already doing it. Here we are meeting on Zoom. We wouldn't normally meet on Zoom. Um, in fact, most of you probably didn't even know what Zoom was. I mean, it was all Skype at that point, if you were using anything, um, yeah. some using Zoom or WebEx or um, GoToMeeting, but Zoom was just pretty small still at that point. Um, and then it just blew up. But I'm like, there's going to be a ton of innovation. And there was, I mean, if you just think about restaurants and all they innovated with takeout and online ordering and all that stuff and what everybody had to do. But the other thing that I said was, I said, also you will be surprised what's going to happen is, is you will see different leadership characteristics in those around you than you have ever seen before right. because people are going to revert to their natural tendencies. And what that meant is, and I saw it, so what that meant is, is that some people reverted to things that they were able to control before the bad things that they were able to keep under control before that you maybe had never seen before. And they yeah. just came up because now it's stressful. Business is crazy and uncertain. And suddenly they aren't that great of leaders anymore. You thought they were good leaders, but they're not that great of leaders. But then you had the opposite of that too. You had those people that were always very quiet that you maybe um, underestimated. They weren't a problem. They just did their job and whatever. And suddenly they stood up and they um, took on extra tasks and they worked extra hard and they solved problems. And like, so their leadership style actually came out in that situation yeah. um, on the positive side. So all of those things are going to be um, important in stressful situations like that. But, but unfortunately, 
we all will have a tendency to revert to our natural state, (laughs) unfortunately. The the key is, is having those around you again, people that you work with or mentors, even sometimes spouses have to say, "Uh, can I get you some, some feedback on what I'm seeing when you go home and you complain about work to your husband or your (laughs) wife. And they're like, you know, and sometimes I, I've said this to my wife and she said to say to me, are you just, are you just wanting support right now? Or are you wanting feedback from me? <laughs> because I think you're actually wrong. You're getting a little excited about this and you're the one that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, very awesome. You know, and I mean, it, it comes back to that people supporting people and take it, take the, the uh, comments and feedback you get from the right intention from which in most cases they are definitely it's intended to be positive rather than a criticism but I mean fortunately there are some negative people around who just criticize all the time so (laughs) you know that's that's just not very fun at all but so you do have I mean you have some fantastic stories that you have included in the book and there really are several where you've commented on how managers have actually performed really well in some very negative situations. Are there any that you think we should perhaps um, recount now? Yeah, so one of the ones that I use, and, and it gets at a couple of points that I, I always try to make, and one point being the the there's there's power in our past experience mm-hmm. and along with that as leaders we need to recognize that there's power in experiences and we need to recognize sometimes we're not very good at understanding the, the impact that something that might be very insignificant to us at the time is highly significant to one of our employees um right. and I, i'll illustrate this and I, I get into a little bit more detail about this in the book but um, back when I was at AMC theaters, again, just starting my career, um, I, uh, when you close the movie theater, especially on a Thursday night, this is in the days before digital movies still. Um, so you had film that came in and when a movie came in, it would come in on uh, six or eight reels of film basically. So they, all the new movies, since they open on Friday would come on Thursday. And then the other movies that were leaving would, would leave on Friday. So Thursdays was always the long night. If you were the closing manager on Thursday, you knew you were going to be there for a while. Um, So what happens is, is that those movies come in and they have to go through this process and it's called building up. So they, they basically take those six or eight reels and they splice them together. The projectionist splices them together into one giant reel that sits on a platter next to the projector. And that's what actually goes through the machine um, when the movie's running. Um, But this process has to be done for every movie because they all come in on these individual reels. So whenever I worked, not all managers did this, but whenever I worked, I would finish my regular closing duties of closing out the the, uh, theater and doing all the financial stuff and everything and get all done with that. And then I would go help the projectionist because I couldn't leave until they were done anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. And I never understood, I never understood the managers who would just sit in the office and wait. I'm like, you're just delaying, like it's going to take even longer. Um, so I would go and help. So about two o'clock in the morning, when I finished my closing duties on this uh, um, one day, I went out and helped. And 
I got, I was tearing down, which is the opposite. So I was tearing down a movie that was leaving the next day. So basically you have to take it and it spins back onto the individual reels. When you get to a splice, you break the splice and you tape that. And then you put another reel on, you get, you put it back on at six or eight reels. So I was just starting this process. So I got this giant movie print that's on the platter and it's on the machine. And there's a dial that you can basically turn and speed it up or slow it down as you're winding it back on to the other reel. And I wanted to go home. So I got this thing spinning pretty quickly. Um, and what I didn't <laughs> realize is this movie print in the middle of the platter, it has a, a metal ring that has pegs that go down in the platter that hold the movie print on there when it's spinning. Yeah. Apparently those pegs were not in the holes because all at once I had this thing spinning all at once it goes and it flew off into the projection booth. And if you ever, ever had those slow moments in your life, those slow motion moments in your life, this was one of them. It was like totally slow motion where I was like, ah, and I'm watching it fly across. And then here I am at whatever, three o'clock in the morning, staring at this movie print on the floor and this isn't a case where you can just pick it back up and put it on the platter again it's oh. like the best way i can illustrate it is, is if you had like a two or three thousand foot long extension cord and you jumbled it up and threw it on the floor um or if you have you know when you get your christmas lights out and they're all that one big that's what yeah. this looks like the cat's that's head it. hold of the yarn when you were yes. knitting your <laughs> grandfather's socks oh. or something <laughs> So I spent the next, I don't know, four or five hours pulling strands of movie out and cutting it and then unknotting the next piece and pulling it out and splicing that piece and then cutting it. By the time I was done and putting this back in on the reels and everything, there was hundreds, I don't know, maybe a thousand, <laughs> I'm sure hundreds of splices in this movie. And yeah. I'm like, we're getting billed for this. Like, I cannot imagine that this is not going to look like crap when it gets back to wherever it's going. What? So here it is seven o'clock in the morning now. Um, and I finally got this done. Um, so I went home and I showered and I came immediately back. I knew my managing director was coming in at nine and I'm standing outside of his office. Keep in mind, again, this is my first job out of college. And I'm like, you're fired, Darby. You're like, this is it you're getting fired. Um, And I went in his office and I explained everything and everything had happened and what I did to fix it and everything. And he just looked up at me when I was done and he said, Darby, thanks for coming in and and letting me know. I appreciate it. Um, You should go home and get some sleep since you have to work later this afternoon. And that was it. Um, He knew that it was highly stressful for me that I was already stressed out he knew that I did everything that I could do to fix it, that I tried to make it right. And I probably cost the theater, I never asked. <laughs> I probably cost the theater thousands of dollars if I had to guess. Um, but it was a mistake and, and he knew it. Here's the thing about it though. That experience changed forever how I have led my whole career. There you go. Because Every interaction that I have had with an employee where they have screwed up, because let's face it, everybody screws up. That's the story that I think of. And I think about how it was handled by my managing director at the time. And that's what I've used. And you don't know how many times I've told that story because somebody was standing across my desk, looking at me, like thinking they were getting fired over whatever it was. And I'm like, let me tell you a story. Um, So 
the power of that past experience is amazing because everything we do and every encounter we have changes us in some way. It can change how we lead. It can change how we interact. And that's something you have to constantly think about. And then there's that other piece that I mentioned. We have to also, as leaders, understand that something that might be insignificant to us um, may be highly significant to somebody else. I have no idea if my managing director, if I talk to him today, if he would even remember that. My guess is he wouldn't even remember it. It's possible. It was probably, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't happy at the time, but overall, it was probably an insignificant moment to him. Yeah. But it changed how I lead forever. So it's highly significant. So that's a lot of pressure on us as leaders because we have to think about those things because if you create a negative interaction, that's going to impact somebody as well. It could impact them negative. It could impact them positive too. Because I have other stories where like in high school, I worked at a pizzeria in the small town that I was, um, that I lived in. And I went home sick from school one day. I let, like I, I vomited at school and I went home sick and I immediately called my manager at the pizzeria because I was supposed to work that night. I said, Hey, I'm not going to be able to work. I went home sick. And they said, you're going to have to get somebody to work. And I said, I've tried and everybody else is in, in class right now. I'm like, I I've done what I can do. I'm like, I can't come in. And they said, well, you're going to have to come to work sick or you're fired. Mm. And I'm like, we work with food. Food. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I remember exactly what I said. I said, well, then I guess I'm fired. (laughs) Um, So that negative interaction also affected me because I have remembered that my entire career is the example of a way I don't want to (laughs) lead. So, so, so true. I mean, can you imagine going into a food place in that kind of a state? And then what are they going (laughs) to hand the pizzas out to the customers without telling them what happened or oh yeah I'm sure they would have (laughs) such an awesome example such a fantastic story of how not to be an indispensable leader how to you know those perhaps are characteristics you need to change (laughs) better be short-staffed for the night than than, than drag your Get sick employee sick. in. You know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, think of the experience through COVID if we had everybody playing with our yeah, food no with COVID. I mean, especially in the early days when we had no idea if it was transmitted through food or not. Yeah. Know? So, oh, awesome stories. Thank you very much for those. So, through your career, I mean, you've certainly had some significant challenges and some real successes. Do you have any particular techniques or secrets that you use to unlock your success or to actually be successful? I mean, it's probably part of your your makeup and your personality, but do you know of any of them? Yeah, I don't know if um, I'm, I, I don't think I have any big revelations here. It's probably things people have heard before that just need to be reinforced. And, and the biggest one is, is honestly, everybody's heard it before, but it is so true. And that is control what you can control. Like there are things you can control and there are things you can't. And yes, you're going to get stressed out about those things, but try to not get too stressed out because if there's nothing you can do about it, then you might as well let it go and move on to what you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have, I've had some challenging situations. We'll go with that. Um, some of them are in the book. Um, but, uh, certainly I, I had one, one interaction at one point where, 
um, there was folks circulating a petition to have me fired. What? So the uh, <laughs> that's an experience you don't ever want to have to go through. No, <laughs> um, no, and it was ironically, sure. ironically, it was all over stuff that I didn't control at all anyway. Like they were um, putting stuff on me on decisions that were made by the board of directors. All I was doing was, was, um, doing what, what I was told to do as far as making those, um, interactions or those, uh, um, things happen in the organization. Yeah. But because I was the face of the organization, that's who they put the blame on. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was at a huge event that was being hosted by my organization and they were circulating a petition to have me fired. So here I am working 16 or 18 hours a day to put this event on for a week, working my butt off, and then that's going on. And obviously it hurt. It was not easy for me to accept. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, and honestly, I heard about it from my my staff. Like they heard about it. And mm -hmm. it devastated them as well. Yeah, and sure. basically what I had to do was, I mean, we had a job to do. We had an event to put on. So we had to have a discussion about, um, look, we can't control that. And yeah, I don't like it, but I can't control what they're doing. All I can control is my actions. And I know what I'm doing is the right thing. I'm doing my job. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what is right for this organization. I will continue to do that and control um, what I can control. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do as well. Control what you can control. You cannot control them circulating this petition. It's not going to do you any good to get upset about it um, and to get angry about it. Um, we have to, we have a job to do. So that's, that's my, my best advice. And I've had, I've had lots of different things. I've had times where my, when I worked for a nonprofit, uh, obviously all of your information is public because you have to do yeah. public filings and whatnot. So people could look up what I made and what my benefits package was and everything. I, this is in the days before um, Facebook and stuff, but there was news groups that existed back yeah. then. And there, my salary was discussed on social media all the time. And he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't work hard enough. Um, he's overpaid. Like he doesn't deserve this for his qualifications. <laughs> I mean, you just have so to deal with it. And caustic. <laughs> but it's the same situation. Like I couldn't control that and it wouldn't do me. First off, I would never have gone on and posted any sort of rebuttal anyway, but it wouldn't have done me any good if I had. Yeah. So I can't, I'm not going to, me telling them they're wrong is not going to change their opinion and that's how it is on all social media today i mean we, we all know like oh, yeah. if you're active on social media you're not going to convince somebody you might as well not argue and i know it's hard because i certainly have done it sometimes too where oh, i just yeah. have to post but you also have to recognize you're not going to change their mind so but again control what you can control and i think that's the biggest thing that yeah. that everybody if you can revert back to that and think about that anytime you're in a challenging situation and it's the same thing you know i gave some some specific weird examples personally but it's the same thing if your business is struggling, if sales are low or whatever, there are things that you can control and things you can't. So work on the ones that you can control to help grow your business and don't focus on the things that are outside of your control. Like you can say, oh, the economy is bad. And, and if the economy were better, it would be so, okay, well, you're not going to change that. Like that 
It's just the reality. Inflation right now, inflation is bad and it is bad, Mm -hmm. but I can't, I can't change that. So what can I do? I can look at my products and services and try to improve them over my competitors and continue to do great marketing and provide great content and continue to build great relationships with customers and potential prospects. What are those things that I can do to actually help my business? And that's what you need to spend your energy on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and once again, it's looking at that positive. It's what can I control rather than hopping on the negative that Quite frankly, the only person that's going to get stressed over that is probably you because psychologically you work yourself into a frazzle and and you can't do anything about it. It's not going to be valuable or productive to spend your time or mental energy on things like that. So, And I want to be, I want to be, I mean, upfront and say, it's going to happen. Like, it's just our nature. Like we're going to have those things happen. But when you realize it happening, that's when you have to try to course correct. Like, I'm not saying like, it's not realistic for me to say, don't ever stress out about those things. You're going to, I do. We do. I mean, we just do. Um, But when you recognize it, then try to shift that focus um, back to the things you can control. Yeah. Yeah. Put as much energy into doing what you can. And that's actually in a way, the way, so many businesses came through COVID. Those yeah. who were able to shift focus and do what they could do, control what they could, are probably the majority of the businesses that are still around now. Those who wallowed in the depths of despair are probably the ones that had to close their doors. So, yeah, valid, valid comment. So yeah. do you have any thoughts in closing, anything we perhaps haven't covered or anything that we should reemphasize? So, I, I mean, some of the stuff that I get asked sometimes is, is what advice I would give to, to leaders. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some specific things that I get uh, that I talk about. Some of them are going to be illustrated through conversation we've already had. Um, but one of them, one of the, probably the biggest one is, is just stay curious. Um, I think we have a tendency to get set in our ways and, and that's not going to help us grow our organization or grow as a person. I'm very big on lifelong learning. So continue to learn, um, read books, get involved in organizations, do development in your organization, take advantage of those things and just stay curious about things. Keep asking questions because um, it's the only way that you're going to continue to grow again as an individual or within your company. Um, One of the other things is, and this was just illustrated through the stories we just talked about, and that is um, as leaders, we have to understand not everything is always going to be easy. There are going to be challenges. Um, There's just, there's going to be setbacks and you have to, again, control what you can control. But the other thing is you have to view those as um, adding to your experience. Mm -hmm. And at the time, at the time, it's not going to feel great certainly did not feel great at the time when people were trying to circulate a petition to have me fired. Um, but I look back now and I, I know that again, past experience, I know that has affected how I, how I lead and how I interact with people. And it has benefited me in the long run, even though it was difficult at the time. (laughs) Um, so, and then, you know, one of the other things is, 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 and you hear it all the time is listen, but I like to say, listen to understand, don't listen to respond. So uh, it's one of those things that as humans, we just, when we're in conversation, oftentimes when somebody's talking to us, we're listening to what they're saying, just so that we can think about 
what we want to say next. So mm-hmm. all I'm hearing is, is your words so that I know what I'm going to say to you next when I'm not really understanding what you're saying. I'm just thinking about what I want to say. And so particularly as a leader um, and when you're working with employees that are underneath you, when they talk to you, listen to understand, like spend the time. Yeah, you hear the term be present. Like that's mm-hmm. another way, way to look at it. Just be present in the moment and really try to understand what they're saying and hear them instead of just thinking about how you're going to respond. Um, and then the last piece of advice um, is just be kind. Like everybody in this world is dealing with their own crap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, we all have it. And no matter how much you think, you know, about your employees or how open you think they are with you, I guarantee you, there is a lot going on in their lives. You're not aware of, they have their own set of troubles, their own situations, and that is going to manifest itself in the work world, um, at some point. So be understanding and be forgiving and just grant them some grace. Um, Obviously you don't want to have things happen repeatedly, but people will get stressed. They will have moments. I certainly have had them. I remember specifically an interaction that I had with an employee one, one time, and it was about something so insignificant. Yeah. (laughs) And they didn't handle it well. And I didn't handle it well, but I went in my office and I slammed my office door so hard that the clock fell off the wall. (laughs) And I remember that. And I'm like, I really regretted it as soon as it happened. And I was mad about something that was not even work related. That was not that instance, but that's how it manifested itself that day. Um, So I had to, you know, ask for, for some forgiveness because I did not handle that well. So that will happen with your employees. So be kind, give people grace. Yeah, makes a lot of sense because you never know what's going on in people's lives, good or bad at any particular time. So, well, thank you very much. This has been really fun chatting today. If people want to um, contact you to learn more or to get hold of a copy of your book, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to my website. It is at beindispensable.com. Um, and it has the, the links to purchase the book. It has all of my social media links and everything. They can go there to to find them. Um, I'm most active. I'm active on everything, but most active on LinkedIn. So they can also just search for Darby Veneer and LinkedIn and I connect with most everybody. So as long as you don't immediately turn around and try to sell me something, that's (laughs) Oh, on the short side. It happens so much on LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm going through a phase now. I I received um, three messages today where it's someone that was very obviously connecting to sell me something. And they've now come back a second and third time bugging me on why I haven't connected. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of short-sighted. <laughs> Let me set up a relationship first and then yes. sell me something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And I will put the links on the show notes page so that people, if they on the run or, or listening in the vehicle at the moment, they can circle back and, and get those afterwards. So thank you very much for your time and for all the fantastic pearls of wisdom that you've shared with us today and the awesome experience that you've got to impart on our future leaders to see where they can take their indispensable careers. And I think the more we get people to be conscious of some of these things, the better for our future business environments. So thank you and have an awesome afternoon. Thanks, you as well. Thanks, Nola. 
The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing and download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.